The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. After he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, do you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nets to the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes because he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat to dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belts and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever had a 
Damascus Road type of experience. I don't mean the, uh, you know, being blinded and regaining your sight necessarily. Simply, you're going about your business, you're doing your daily thing, going through your routine, and suddenly you're stopped in the track and your tracks somehow. God interrupts your routine in a way that can't go unnoticed. And in, in a moment of revelation, not necessarily hearing an audible voice, but somehow you know that it's God, you realize that you've been terribly wrong, misguided, hurtful, ignorant. And you are absolutely convicted in that moment and commit to some sort of dramatic change in values or lifestyles. It's, it's a story that we hear about frequently because it's so compelling and inspiring. St. Anthony, one of the early saints of the church, wanders into a church, hears Jesus' instruction to sell everything and does just that, moving into the desert to live out his life as a monastic in the wilderness. <coughs> Perhaps more familiar, John Newton encounters the gospel and in his conviction, pens probably the most famous hymn ever written, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He describes his experience, the experience of St. Anthony, the experience of St. Paul, and of so many others. But maybe that's not your story. So to jump to John's gospel. Have you ever encountered such an abundant catch that God's presence was suddenly obvious? Suddenly you knew that this sort of generosity, unexpected, surprising, had to be God. It could only be G Jesus, and you couldn't contain your excitement, so you put on some clothes and figuratively jumped out of the boat. Or perhaps your story is more like Peter jumping a few verses ahead, carrying the weight of his earlier betrayal and denial of Jesus. And you found your own guilt, shame, or disappointment, whatever it may be, your regret, met by undeserved grace, forgiveness, compassion, and continued trust. Or perhaps on the other side of Jesus calling, you've deeply felt Jesus calling you to care for others in some way or other, feed my sheep. And this deep sense of calling has led you to find the meaning and purpose for your life in that calling. The Bible is filled with such stories as these, mixing and matching a collection of all sorts of different people's faith and experience of God. Recently, I was reading on a, a, a book about the Bible, and the author described our scriptures as a scrapbook, documenting God's relationship with humanity a collection of pictures and stories, poems and letters and teachings that give us a glimpse into who God is and who we are. 
We're invited in the scriptures to flip through that scrapbook of people's experience and discover how their experience with God relates to our own. We're not presented in the Bible with one image of what faith is supposed to look like. But these diverse fragments of people's stories and their lives that God has drawn together, I think that's the inspired part of the scripture that drawn has, God has drawn this diversity together to proclaim the overarching good news that wherever you're coming from, we have all of these different stories. Whatever your story is, you are loved. You have a place in the story. The very human temptation, however, is to look at one story, one story that reflects our own, one example of faith that resonates with us and say, this is how it's supposed to be. When I lived in Orlando prior to going to seminary, I was working at a church there. I went to a conference, and I remember the speaker standing up there saying, if you don't have a conversion story, you don't have a conversion. And it was like a personal accusation, even a threat that I didn't have a place in God's story Because while this man clearly identified with that story of Saul on the road to Damascus, the the radical, dramatic conversion story, that's not my story. I've always been in the church. Certainly I've grown and my faith has changed and I've had some dramatic experiences, but nothing like that dramatic turn of faith that Paul had and that this man clearly expected of me if my faith was supposed to be legitimate. That's not my story. But it's also not the only story that we get in the Bible that's composed of this vast diversity of stories. Similarly, we can find prosperity preachers that will look at a story like the abundant catch of fish as we heard in John and make it into a universal doctrine. Faithfulness will be rewarded with material prosperity. Well, where does that leave the millions of faithful people who live in poverty? Or we can look at the biblical story and find the numerous biblical characters who are blessed in their poverty. Religion has a tendency to make our stories into doctrine or dogma, but our faith is not a formula to be believed, or one model that we're all supposed to conform to. Our faith is a story to be lived. God's story. And God's story is expansive and inclusive enough to include all of ours, all of yours, as different as they may be. And that's the witness of our scriptures that contain such a diverse cast of characters and collection of contrary experiences. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to invite all of you 
graduating seniors to come up here as we celebrate with you the end of this chapter of your story and the beginning of the next one. And God only knows where that may lead you. Yeah, you may have some ideas what you're going to do for work or school in terms of that next step, but everything else that that story may entail, the twists and turns that you'll take, the opportunities and challenges you'll face, who knows? That's part of the exciting part of living. But what I can say to you is that as you take those twists and turns, wherever they may lead you, you will continue to be part of God's story. I can also promise you this. On that way, through that winding road that life inevitably will take you, you will come to the margins of faith as you have it now. You'll be confronted with ideas that you never thought before, questions you never asked before, experiences that you never imagined you will have, and they will raise all sorts of new questions and challenges for your faith. And what I want to say to you, and I hope that you'll remember when you come to that moment, is that when you come to the margins of faith, know that God's story keeps going. God's story keeps going because God's story is more expansive and inclusive than anything you've ever been taught or, or even imagined. So while I have no idea where your road may lead you, what I do know is this. It will not lead you anywhere you will go. Whatever turns it may take, they will not lead you outside of God's story. Whatever turns your story takes, you will not be outside of God's story. Early in our service, we baptized Everly, who now looks to be soundly asleep. And in baptism, as many of you have been baptized, we welcomed her into the Lord's family and into this community that we call church. Now, I was baptized at three weeks. Everly's not too much older, a few months. And while she was very cute up there and seemed a little engaged with the water and was looking me in the eye for a stretch of it anyways, I'm pretty confident that she had no idea of the significance of what was going on, that she does not understand the sacrament of baptism. I also think that apart from being very cute, she hasn't really done anything at this point in her life to deserve it. But in baptism, God says, not we say, God says, in spite of the fact that you haven't done anything, you're enough. You don't need to do anything to earn your place and be accepted into my family. As you are. As you are right now, you are mine and you are loved. Now, 
I've noticed that while we're often fine looking at a cute little baby and believing that promise, what often seems to happen as we grow up and we, we grow older, we find it difficult to continue believing in that promise. Like Peter and Paul in, our, in Acts and John, we imagine that our actions somehow can undo God's promises. And I want to say this morning that that's a pretty ridiculous idea. That our human actions can somehow undo God's commitment to God's promises. That's the story. God's unwavering faithfulness in the face of all the twists and turns that humanity as a whole and us as individuals will take. We cannot put ourselves outside of God's story. That's what grace means. It's one of those theological words that we throw around. Grace means we cannot put ourselves outside of God's story. So we have many of you who are long past infant baptism and graduation, and you've taken all sorts of trials and twists and turns through the course of your life. You've probably had struggles of faith, questions that you have or have not been able to answer, and you continue to be part of God's story with Peter and Paul and Everly and all of you graduates and all of the saints that came before and the countless saints that will come after, you continue to be part of God's story. We all have our own unique journeys and unique stories. But if there is one story, it is God's. And God's story of gathering all of us together, creating a family, a community, a story that we all have a place in, that you have a place in God's story of love and acceptance and belonging and grace and mercy and forgiveness. You have a place in that story. You belong. Amen.